Morning, everyone. Might be strange seeing me on this side of things. I even found a dress shirt this morning just for y'all. You're welcome. Shaved my beard and everything. Somebody not even recognized me today. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Our focus is going to be over the next couple of weeks on life in the Spirit. Or, or you could even say the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Before I get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're so thankful, Lord, that You gave us Your Word. Father, we're thankful that uh, we could gather here this morning and lift up our praise and our worship to You for being a great God. Father, right now as we come to Your Word, Lord, I pray that You would set my imperfections to the side. Lord, we, that we would just hear from You and what You would have us to uh, know about our Christian walk, to know more about You and how You're involved in our lives. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We won't have anybody running the Scripture today. Good thing is, is I don't have a ton for you to flip to outside of Romans, and what I do have are short verses, so if you want to take a note and look at it later, or if you're a fast flipper, I'll try to slow down so you can get there. But we're going to be looking at, at Romans chapter 8. Now, the book of Romans has been referred to by some who are way smarter than me, and I can see their point, the diamond of the Bible. They said if you could take the Bible as a whole and make a ring out of it, Romans would be the diamond on top. And at the top of that diamond, the apex would be Romans chapter 8. This is one of the richest chapters in the entire Bible. You could literally spend weeks on it and not find and not mine and dig all the truths that are in this thing. There's 39 verses in it. If you don't believe me, flip to the back of it. You'll see there's 39. And it starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. In this chapter, we will see the entire life of the Christian. You'll see the justification. You'll see the sanctification. And you'll see the glorification. It starts on earth and it takes us all the way into the heaven in the to heaven in the presence of God. In the first three verses that we're going to be looking at today, you have a mention of the Trinity. You have a mention of Jesus, the Son. You have a mention of God, the Father. And you have a mention of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you can see how all three of these work in our Christian life. It's here in this chapter that we learn about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a believer's walk. It's here we realize that without the Holy Spirit in our life, this is not possible. It is not possible to walk in the Christian life outside of the Holy Spirit being inside of us. In Romans 8.1, we see the words, there is therefore now no condemnation. Therefore. I'm not an English major, but I remember back in school that therefore was a conjunction, which is a connecting word. 
which is pointing back to something before it, some kind of a phrase. You could, you could argue that it's the, it's, the, it's the thoughts before that, but I think when you look at Romans as a whole, you can see that he's reaching back on everything he has just said and he's pulling it to this point. For the, vet, for the better part of the first chapters of Romans, the first three chapters, Paul is showing the audience, his audience, the dilemma of mankind and the need for God's righteousness. The Bible teaches that since the fall, every human being has been born into sin and with this sinful nature. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By nature, we all stand under God's condemnation. We are all unrighteous. It says the Jews, he goes into details, the Gentiles, the Jews... Matter of fact, all mankind. You fall into two of those categories. He's saying all the mankind falls into this category. Sin is not just an influence on man. It rules our lives. It steals peace and joy. It replaces it with trouble and pain. It's in every human being and nobody can fight it by their own power. You cannot get out of it with your own power. It places men under the power of Satan. Ephesians 2, I'll flip with you just so you can feel my pain too. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, and this is Paul again, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is talking to a Christian, the Christians here, right? He's saying this is who you once were. And if you're not a Christian, this is who you are now. This is the rest of mankind. They walk in the darkness. They walk under the power of Satan. Nothing about that sounds good, right? That's where we were or that's where we are. The condemnation of God carries more weight than we actually realize. It's not just you're guilty. It's not a guilty sentence. It's the payment that comes with it. That word condemnation here is actually the word damnation or eternal death. That's the sentence it carries. There's no way out of it, and you will never get through paying it. We have no excuse, Paul says in Romans, we have no excuse to say there is no God because we can look around at His creation and clearly see that something has created these things. You're without excuse. In Romans chapter 3, Paul actually tells of God's provision for us. We can't be righteous on our own, so how are we going to do it, God? He says that we are only justified before God because Jesus pays for our sins. It's what He did on the cross. It's what He did in His life. We'll see in our verses in chapter 8 a little bit later on exactly how that works together. So from condemnation to justification, now we lead into sanctification. Around chapter 6 in Romans is where this 
starts, you start seeing the doctrine of sanctification take place, what this looks like. In Romans 6, Paul tells his audience that if they have been justified by God through faith in Jesus, then they will experience personal holiness. I'd like to look at chapter 6 real quick. Just a piece of the doctrine of the union that we have with Christ. Chapter 6, verse 3. It says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, this is not a water baptism, this is a baptism by the Holy Spirit into Christ, were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Last verse, you, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ if you have been born again. Now, when he gets into chapter 7, you see he starts to talk about how we've been released from this law. What sin has placed us under in this law is the condemnation. But he's telling us how we've been released. When you get to verses 7 through 17, Paul is explaining how God's law reveals sin and because of our sinful nature we are born into, get this, the law actually arouses us to sin even more. We all understand our rebellious nature, don't we? Think about this. Sign says, do not step on grass. And we'll stroll by it and slap our foot across it, won't we? Sign says, speed limit, 55. I am not the only one with that problem. I know that. <laughs> Paul goes on to explain how the law basically ruins the sinner because we are helplessly deceived and we're dead because of our sin. He says the law by itself isn't sin. This is from God. It's not sin. It's holy. It's perfect. It's good. But we're none of those things. The law was only meant to show how far we stood away from our Creator and what He desires. A little over halfway through chapter 7, and we're going to look at this, Paul shifts in what seems to be like a cry of distress. It's like uh, lamenting. He's crying out because of his condition. Verse 18, chapter 7. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is the condition of every Christian right now. Nothing good dwells in me. 
And Paul says, the reason I know this, go to the second part of that verse. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Amen? That is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. I have a desire to do what is good. The sin in my members is fighting against me. This, we're going to see the battle of sin right here. So, what's the deal here? You want to do good, Paul. You want to do good. Let's look at verse 20 through 25. It says, Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. There's another difference between a believer and a non-believer. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but when, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Do you see the battle going on here? This leads us into our verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Think of this from Paul's readers' minds. Yes, this points back to everything he's just talked about. But Paul says, I serve the law of God in my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You could easily look at this and go, well, now you're right back under condemnation again. You would think because you're still sinning, you're right back here, Paul. What are you going to do? You would think that these people, knowing that they're going to live this same type of Christian life, they're still going to struggle with sin, they would think condemnation is hanging right over my head and it's waiting to fall at any time. We feel like Paul in this battle to do what God desires, but we fail, don't we? No condemnation. That's what stands out to me in, in that verse. That's a double negative. Two negative words. No and condemnation. When I looked this up in the original and I thought, why? You ever look in the original and you're like, why is it in this order? When you read it, it doesn't make any sense. But I got to looking in a little bit further. No is the first word that he uses here. And the reason he does is because he wants to point all his emphasis to the no. Paul's way of saying no condemnation, he couldn't know a no more than anybody. It's the biggest no you could have right here. No condemnation. It's a legal term. This is our position in Christ. Do we live like that all the time? Absolutely not. Paul just said, you will struggle with sin. Sin is still in you. We fight this battle, right? We don't slide back and forth in and out of condemnation. What a life that would be, right? Many believe, even today still, that whenever you confess your sin, and you're not condemned anymore, right? And you live a so-called good life that you're not condemned. But as soon as you sin, you're condemned again. How is that freedom? 
That is false. That is false. I'm here to tell you it's false. Think about this. You sin daily, right? I confess daily. I sin daily. What would it look like? What would it feel like to be condemned daily? He doesn't say that here. He doesn't say that sometimes we are not condemned. He doesn't say maybe you're not condemned. He says there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, period. That's you, Christian. There's no condemnation. When you can get this, when you can understand this, the freedom that comes along with it, because you won't have a love to do good if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you are not in Christ, you won't have the love to do good. But knowing that even when I fail, my desire is still to do good and I will get back up tomorrow and I will fight it again, right? Then we read on into verse 2. For, another way to say this is because, because, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Why is there no condemnation? Because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Verse 1 tells us we are delivered from the legal condemnation. We're justified. Verse 2 says we are being we are delivered and being delivered from the power of sin. We are sanctified and we are being sanctified. This is a process that we go through, right? Now you could misunderstand these two verses together and you could look at it and say, well, does this mean that we fight sin and obey God and then we're made right with God? You can't, you can't get it that way. The Bible doesn't support this idea. Go to Romans chapter 16. Very last chapter of Romans. In his doxology, verse 25 is where we're going to start. Verses 25 and 26. It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. You see the order there, right? The gospel comes, you're justified, and then here comes the obedience of faith afterwards. It's not before. Nothing you can do or will ever do will make you right in the eyes of God in your own power. It is only by the Holy Spirit. It is only because Jesus has already paid your sin. It is only because you have His righteousness that you can even do anything that's righteous, right? The freedom that Jesus gives us is deliverance from sin's power and the penalty, and it gives us the ability to obey God. Remember, without the Spirit, there is no obedience of faith. We really don't understand what the chains feel like when they're gone unless you remember what the chains feel like when they're there. That's the freedom, knowing that that no longer has a hold on you. You're not even looking at those chains anymore, right? You don't feel the weight of them. That, that causes you to live a different life. That causes you to want to do the things that God says that He loves and then he says is good. That, that gives you the desire. 
And it, it doesn't make sense just to hear it, but when you feel it, when you see it in your own life, it just propels you. All right, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned the sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Just back in, in chapter 7, Paul just went over this. He said in verse 10, For the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. The sinful corruption of flesh made the law powerless to men. Because of sin, the law cannot make men righteous. It only shows how unrighteous we are. Paul shows us in verses 3 and 4 how God has achieved that no condemnation, that no bondage for those who are in Christ. It says, God sent His Son to become human, right? Sent Him in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And He became our sin offering to live a perfect life and die for the payment of sins he never committed. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus, who in every respect has been, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He gave his life to satisfy the debt of God required so that we, us, those who were condemned, can now live a holy life. Some people, including many that profess to be Christian, believe they can achieve this moral, spiritual perfection by living up to God's standard by their own power. We get an example of this in, in, in the Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 22. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. The title of mine says, The Rich Young Man. I'm not sure what yours says, but this is who we're talking about here. Verse 16, and it says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You already see something wrong already? What work should I do? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here we have a very, very religious man, right? Kept those. He was committed to obeying some of the commandments, but he failed 
So number one, love God first, right? More than anything. And he failed to love his neighbor as himself. He loved himself and his possessions so much that he couldn't turn away, couldn't turn loose of it. And so this religious lifestyle, you know what it counted for in God's eyes? Zip. Zero. Nothing. It counted for nothing. This man had probably spent his whole life trying to obey these. And he wanted eternal life, but he knew it was all about works in his own mind. But it, absolutely nothing. James 2.10 This ought to give you a good idea. So remember, this man had said, I kept all these laws, right? I got them, nailed them. Jesus showed him what he didn't. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, one point, not the whole law, one point, has become guilty of all of it. Get that. One little point out of that whole entire law, you're guilty of all of it. This means one slip up, no matter how big, no matter how small, you're disqualified right there. You are now condemned. So this lets us know a sinful man can't even try to keep God's standards apart from God's power. You can't do it. For the true Christian, those who trust in Christ, they're not only saved from the penalty of sin, but they're also able for the first time to fulfill God's righteous standards. That's only through the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember that. I don't want you to hear me saying that this makes us perfect and we will sin no more. We can see clearly that Paul says that is not the case, right? You have holiness. You are in the position of holiness. Do we look holy? Especially not up front, right? This sanctification, I think you've heard me say it before. It was a chart a long time ago. It says, when you are justified, you cannot move outside. Here's your line. Condemn justified. But sanctification, especially on a daily basis, probably looks more like some kind of a, a scattered plot all over the place, right? But when you look at it over a period of time, our holiness, we should be growing in holiness. Don't look at the little details. The little details matter daily, matters. We need to be renewed daily, right? But that process should like we're getting closer to holiness, not further away from it. We remember that Paul said back here that this sin, it's in our members. The sin is not in our mind. Remember, we want to do what is good, but the sin is in our members, so we battle. We will win battles. We will lose battles. But when you read this verse, there is therefore now no condemnation. Man, that makes it easier to get back up. To know that no matter how bad I fail today, I'm not condemned and I get back up and I want to do good. I want to, do, I want to try harder to do good tomorrow and I'm going to rely on the Spirit to show me how to do that. Now, does that mean when we walk in the Spirit that we just freely, and the Spirit, you just lead me? And that's not what it means here. You can't know what God wants. You can't know what God loves if you never open His Word. 
Sunday will not fill you up for the whole week. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It says we are renewed daily, and daily we need to be renewed in prayer and reading His Word. You will not survive. You will not be able to do what is righteous if you are not constantly in His Word and in prayer. There's no doubt that Paul tells us to be continuously in prayer. Guess why? Because when I'm not thinking on the things of God and I'm not talking to God, you don't want to know where my mind wanders. Before I close this out, and I'll tell you next week, we're going to be diving into this same chapter, Lord willing, and we're going to be looking at what it means to kill sin. What does it look like to kill sin? He says in um, verse 13, I believe, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We're going to be looking more into that. Like I, I, If I have this sin in my members and I'm going to battle with it, I need to know how to battle with it, right? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Before I close this out, I just want to leave you with something. Um, this comes from an, illust- uh, an illustration from an old Welsh pastor that I, he's a great author I love. He's been, he's been in glory for many years now. His name's Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he writes this. He's looking at the difference between an unbeliever and a sinner. What's the difference in the sin, right? The difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man tra- transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who has done something he should not do in his relationship to his wife. He's not breaking the law. He's wounding the heart of his wife. That is the difference. It is no longer a legal matter. It is a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be the husband legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against the law of the land objectively outside of me than to hurt someone I love. In that case, you have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love, so you may and should feel ashamed. That's that godly sorrow, right? But you should not feel condemnation because to do so is to put yourself right back underneath that law that he just said we're released from, right? We have freedom from that law. Dale, if y'all want to come on back up. My invitation to you is this. Maybe you've forgotten this truth about your Christian life. Maybe you just need to be reminded of this and you just give God the praise for that. We know we stand with no condemnation over our heads. Maybe maybe you've been idle in your Christian walk. Maybe sin has had a grip on you. You need to be reminded that I need to fight this thing and I'm still not condemned. Or maybe you don't know Christ at all. And something that was said or done here today opened your eyes, opened your ears, and you want to know more about Him and you want to have a relationship.